You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak to Emily Urban Cordiero about balancing dual careers in and out of the equine industry and how she helps others start their businesses. Emily Urban Cordero is the founder of the Rising Equestrian Pro, a platform which helps young riders strategically prepare for a professional riding or training career. She has found success both inside and outside the equestrian world, having spent many years training and riding for top professionals in the eventing and hunter-jumper worlds, as well as developing her own horses. Emily now runs a successful training and teaching business while also pursuing a PhD at Cornell University in data science for agriculture. Her experience working with top executives in the private sector, as well as with venture capitalists, has given her valuable business applications for the equestrian world. Emily is a graduate HA from the United States Pony Clubs and holds a degree in Agricultural Extension and Education, Bachelor of Science, Penn State, Master's at University of Georgia. She lives in Ithaca, New York with her husband and baby daughter. Buy your ticket today for the 2023 Equestrian Businesswomen Networking Brunch in Wellington, Florida. The Equestrian Business Women Networking Brunch will be held on Sunday, March 26, 2023, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in the Wellington Club at Wellington International, home of the Winter Equestrian Festival. Mingle, talk, and listen to an inspiring speaker with delicious brunch food and champagne. Mark your calendar and join us on March 26. Buy your ticket today at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Sponsor opportunities are also available. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to talk to you about um, your business and and how you've, you know, come to um, the idea and um, everything that you do as a professional. So we're looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I think we're going to dive into some really good stuff today. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, I was super excited to meet you at the World Horse Expo, and I actually got to watch your presentation about young professionals and, you know, listen to your kind of backstory. And what I thought was really interesting is that you actually have a dual career and that you are in agricultural science. Mm. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about... um you know, how you got interested in the ag science, exactly what it is and what you do? Yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm a, I call myself a dual career professional. So I have a teaching training business and have a science career in ag science. So I, I grew up on a farm in Southeast Pennsylvania in a big dairy row cropping area. And I always had this love for agriculture. Um, But I, I did want to pursue a professional riding training career. Uh, But I went to college for ag education. So I figured, well, I had the agriculture. And then two, (laughs) I could also have this teaching background that would probably be useful for the teaching training business side of things, which yes, that has been super useful. Um, There's a whole other side to my my 
equine side of my story, but from a science perspective, I then did my master's in agricultural education focused on international development. So this is using essentially agriculture to address food insecurity and and poverty related issues around the world. So after my master's, I worked for a few years internationally um, and then went back to do a PhD in soil and crop sciences um, because I wanted to, one, I wanted to get a little bit more technical information, like technical knowledge on agronomy, crops, and so forth. And then two, I wanted to get more knowledge and tangible skills and data science within the agronomy space. And actually right now I'm finishing up my my PhD and very much focused on the data science side of things for agriculture. So my brain has been having some very heavy lifts lately. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. That's really interesting though. And how cool that you get to pursue, you know, that um, education side of things while also pursuing your passion with horses. Yeah, I think for me, I really, I need both. Mm. Um, and I've tried to do it one way or the other. Um, and I, I, I just enjoy the challenge, the different types of challenges that both that come with both. Mm. Um, the benefits that come with both and uh, sure keeps things interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, Connor said that you, and you worked internationally, where did you work um, outside of the U S and what do you think are some of the most important lessons you've learned from that? Sure. So I, my very first time going abroad, and this is kind of interesting because it's this intersection between my my science education route and horses, was in England. And so I studied abroad in England. And then I stayed, since I was already in Europe, I stayed in Europe and had a, a working student position for Corinne Donkers, who's an eventing Olympian in Belgium. Mm-hmm. So I was able to actually pair the two. And there's many times in my, in my path and probably my future as well that the two can be could be tagged and that one was well you're already in the area so you <laughs> might as well find an opportunity there cool. you already bought that flight um, but otherwise I have done research in Rwanda uh, Mozambique very very rural areas in Mozambique my current research is in India in Bihar mm-hmm. state and I've spent some time in Haiti Brazil I speak Portuguese or, or do my best to speak Portuguese. <laughs> I learned Portuguese to do research in Mozambique and um, some ag, ag business things in Brazil. But actually, on a side note, I ended up marrying uh, someone from Brazil. So now the Portuguese is more useful from a, right. a personal standpoint than a business standpoint. And you get to practice it more. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and uh, now our daughter... Hopefully she's very well. She's not talking yet, but hopefully she'll she'll be bilingual. So we'll we'll, yeah. we'll give you an update in a couple of years. See how that's going. <laughs> that's really cool. And what do you think um, you kind of learned from doing that work in different parts of the country? Well, uh, the world, I should say. <laughs> sure, sure. You know what? The biggest thing for me was this whole new sense of gratitude. We are so fortunate to have have so much, and and I think particularly in days where you know, I'm just very frustrated that 
you know, thinking, bringing it back to the horse world, that, that ride didn't go well or dealing with lameness issues. I mean, it just weighs so heavy, but I think having all these other life experiences or these other international global type experiences shows us, showed me just how lucky I am to, to interact with horses and horse people in any capacity. That is of course you. a lot of us always want to do a bit more. And sometimes we're financially a little stuck to do more, whatever that might be, but being so grateful that we, most of us do have a, the stability of our meal, our housing, um, if horses are in our life, um, generally. And so I think for me, it was that whole sense of gratitude. The other thing, when I've spent time abroad and in different areas of the world and, and, um, these agricultural projects and whatever, I have met some great business people Mm. and I love, this brings it back to the podcast. I love thinking about business and have such an appreciation for, for people who do their business well. I've spent some time, I spent quite a bit of time with, in one of the projects, it was co-funded by a former CEO of, of one of the largest food companies in the U.S., even globally. Um, just learned an incredible amount of, of business advice and wisdom from him. But then I've also seen some incredible business people, whether it's the taxi guy and his company picking up people from Kigali Airport at Rwanda, in Rwanda, or just the restaurants that have meal meal trucks that have just really figured it out business wise. And business, I kind of think of like I think of it from both the finance side and the relationship side. Um, and I think I really, I just that's my that's my little side hobby. I love. I love figuring out and learning about people's businesses, no matter what um, sector they're in. Yeah. It's really funny you should say that because when I was at the expo, um, we were next to a guy who he sold bracelets and he was like their holistic bracelets. And he was the most incredible salesperson I've ever seen without being like a used car sales type or pushy or anything. Like he had this great vibe to him. And I just sat and watched like his interactions with people, how he took rejection. And it's just amazing if you really do step back and watch how people conduct business. It's amazing. And then when you see how successful they are, it's like the money follows, you know, like his relationship was uh, with selling was so good. And, and I mean, they hit their target sales. We, we asked them straight up, like, you know, what were your target sales and did you hit them? And, and they absolutely did like every day, except for the last day, which was a little light on exhibit on, on, um, people coming through the show, but like, you know, you could just, you could just tell. And so I, I appreciate that you also watch other people's businesses and interact with them because it's really great to like, see that and learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great example. First off, I know exactly who you're talking to. And I'm <laughs> very, imp- I'm talking about, and I'm very impressed. Second, I think that's a great lesson for us all. I mean, even with our equine related businesses, if we're checking out at a shoe store or something and realize, wow, the way they're processing payments, hmm, can I integrate this into my teaching writing business? For sure. Yeah. Um, There's so many things we can constantly learn from our experiences day to day about how to better run our businesses. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly, you know, looking at how others are doing things and, you know, thinking how they can apply to what we do or make what we do better. And I think that's how you have to be in order to have a successful business. Um, You know, complacency is only going to get you so far and you have to be 
uh, observational and and being able to take things from different people is a going to only be a huge benefit because you either learn what to do or learn what not to do. And <laughs> absolutely it helps either Very way. Very true. <laughs> One of my first jobs, I mean, I really learned what not to do, how not to conduct business. <laughs> she was a lovely woman, but man, uh, she had her business stolen from her like three different times. And mm. I was like, well, no, I know, I know why. So I wouldn't do that if I had a business, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Emily, can you kind of describe to us like your professional equestrian business? You kind of have two parts to it, right? Yes, I do. I do. And it gets a little confusing for everyone. So even myself, there's so many moving pieces. So let me let me break it down for you. So I have my riding teaching training business locally. That's what I call Emily Urban Equestrian. That is focused primarily in eventing dressage. And that business is really serving the grassroots of eventing and the sport in particular. So that business, I love showing, introducing people to the sport of eventing. I personally have found my niche, um, both with juniors and adult amateurs and keeping them safe, introducing them to the sport. I also have a group of adult amateurs that I support on their dressage, dressage path as well. Um, And so that's my teaching training business. And then on the other side of things, more recently, I've launched an an online education platform called the Rising Equestrian Pro. And this is a platform primarily offering one-on-one coaching as well as an online course and other, other educational resources are in the works. But the idea of the Rising Equestrian Pro is it's a platform to help future professionals prepare for their future riding, training, teaching business. Essentially, it's filling this need that there really isn't a lot of resources out there for, and it's, it's mainly, it's specifically focused on that future trainer, rider. Um, and while there's a lot of other careers in the equine industry, it's focused on them and providing them tangible business skills, at mm-hmm. least, at least kind of introducing what they might not know they don't know mm-hmm. so that once they are professionals, they can get help, whether it's bookkeeping, legal, legal marketing, physical, mental health. And it's all that to hopefully have um, professionals in our industry that stay in our industry that find success, however they define success, whether it's financially, whether it's um, freedom, whatever. And so uh, freedom to, to make decisions and to change their business in life as they feel um, is best for them. So that's an effort that's been supported by a lot of different people across the industry. Uh, essentially, all jumping in and saying, "Hey, there's a big need here. We need to one demystify demystify what the path is to going pro. What pro can actually look like. For example, I'm a dual career professional. Um, some are part time, some are full time, and then helping those individuals find success. So those are the two pieces and how I how I break things down. Mm-hmm. And when you did your presentation at the expo, what I really liked, there were two points that I really liked. First of all, you talked a lot about like a pyramid of what the equestrian industry looks like, right? And there's very, you know, the very top, and then it goes down to more of a grassroots. We, you know, we step down into like what grassroots looks like. And I appreciate that you found your niche there. And I think that more people need to realize that you know, there, 
there is room for people. There's plenty of room for people. You have to find your niche. The other thing you kind of talked about was um, there were some questions from the audience and you had talked about like, if you just want to ride, um, like maybe your route has to be riding young horses for somebody. And, you know, I think that that, I liked the idea that you were presenting to them. Like, it's not just a cookie cutter. You, you have to do this. You have to go to equitation finals. And this is how you become a professional. And so I, I like how with your young, with your course program that you're kind of promoting that it's not just cookie cutter. It can, you can kind of make it how you want it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And to further elaborate on the pyramid idea. So if we think for the audience here, if we think about the top of the pyramid being those riders that are chasing U.S. team spots, they have a string of horses and a string of owners, they have sponsors, you know, that's kind of what we typically think about as the professional. But the reality is our industry, if you think of it as a big pyramid, the reality is that most of the industry is at the base. And therefore, if you're a professional, you're actually more likely to be serving those at the grassroots or maybe that midsection in the pyramid. And so one of the things that I really encourage these young professionals, future professionals in the course is to figure out their niche. So and, and embracing it, saying, oh, I'm I'm only I'm only I'm only serving new riders. Like I'm only in the lesson. No, 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 no. You are pro providing an incredible experience for introducing people to the, to the industry. Yeah. You are keeping them safe and you've structured your business so that you are financially successful as well. And so I think it's so important that one, you find your niche, but then realize why you're there and what you serving and, and, and really be proud of what you've created and what you're contributing to the industry. Um, and then to, to your second point, there are so many different ways and business models. Uh, sometimes we think of the professional doing it all from teaching, training, competing, traveling to shows, but there's many professionals and sometimes the most quote unquote successful ones, meaning they're, <clears throat> they're very organized in their business and have nice margins, have really found a niche, whether it's they're focused on traveling around the country teaching clinics, whether they, everyone knows them for sending them, for sending their young horses to, to get started. Um, and so, right. And, it, and that really depends on your, the region of the country that you're in, your discipline, and then what you enjoy. If you don't enjoy teaching the adult amateur who will Right. That, and you really enjoy starting young horses, build your business around what you enjoy. So that's the kind of thing that um, you can tell that I'm very passionate about and, and loved when other professionals share their stories of how they've defined their niche and defi defined you know, their business model in a way that really suits them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've touched on the subject kind of before and use that as an example of, you know, not only being honest with yourself in what you want to do and how you want to structure your business, but also thinking about, um, you know, if you are a trainer at the level where you're just teaching um, beginner lessons and kind of working with another area professional to say, look, I can send you kids that want to move up to the next level, but I don't want to 
do I don't have time to do that or I don't want to do that. I'll send you these kids. When you have beginners coming to you and you don't want to teach beginner lessons, you send them to me. So, you know, finding a way to work with others around you so that you both benefit. Yes, that is absolutely. And that's an example I do as well when I have when I have students ready ready to move up to training prelim, right? I send them to a professional, a co-professional to help mm-hmm. support them in their their path. I think on the same note though, if you are serving the grassroots, it doesn't mean that your education ever stops. Right. So for example, I see myself ser- continuing to serve the grassroots, but I personally am on a path of my personal horse to to ride at the top levels mm. of dressage. And so, and I know that will trickle down and that will help my students learn their basics in an even more robust way and set them up for success. So I think that's that's an important piece we always have to remember to even no matter where you're situated in the pyramid, um, to always continue learning for sure um, on and off yeah. the horse. Yeah. And and I think that it it's not necessarily so I don't want people to to get this wrong that we're saying like don't pursue your dreams because I mm-hmm. definitely think that you should have dreams to pursue but sometimes I think you need to bring it back to reality because not everybody can be at the top of the pyramid right right and so sometimes I think you have to accept the fact that you know yes you're growing you're learning you're constantly educating yourself to become better but that your niche might just be more towards the grassroots part of things and that's okay you know, mm-hmm. like it's okay to to be there. If you're um, being self-fulfilled, if you are making you, the money that you want that is um, providing for you, then I think that it's it's fine to be there and, you know, not think that your dreams are being crushed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the same time, it is it is incredible and wonderful to aim for the top yeah. and all- Times I work with a lot of young professionals, future professionals, young professionals who really have those aspirations. Uh, but their business initially does support the grassroots or that middle pyramid, and and they're moving in that direction. Right. And so I think and you don't all- have to be the same thing for your entire career. No. Yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. That's what people feel like. Well, I'm doing this now. I don't want to do this forever. Well, you don't have to like. Do it now for what works for now and find a way to change it into what you want it to be when you're ready. Right. And, you know, you don't have to, um, you can, don't have to do everything, right? Like um, Emily had talked a little bit about this in her her talk that like, like if you want to be the person that has lessons and training horses and young horses and sales horses and breed and, you know, all the things, that's fine. But if you come to a point where it's not, it's okay to pick. It's okay to pick and choose the things. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do them all to be successful. Mm-hmm. Or to be a good horseman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Emily, what do you think are advantages for you for having dual professions? I mean, it it sounds like a lot to juggle, but what do you think? Um, how does it help you? Sure. Well, I think I think my one when I'm in my teaching training role, I think my clients really appreciate these outside perspectives. Also, you know, that drive to the sh- that two hour drive to the show stays pretty interesting. They're all professional, especially the adults. They have their careers and it's having this, these other experiences do they, they are interested on the funny side. I have some clients 
who do not know I even have a science career. And it's not, mm. it's not that I'm hiding anything from them. They just see me every Tuesday evening and I do things with them on weekends and they don't even think about it. Um, so that was kind of funny because initially I was like, how do I explain myself? <laughs> don't explain yourself, serve, give, provide your service and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, they will learn, t- they, the more time you spend with them, they will learn the whole you. Um, I think as far as the dual career professional, there's a level of stability that is, while it's a lot to balance, there's a level of stability that I feel that I can I can choose times in my life when I need to prioritize a little bit more of my science career um, and times where I can spend a bit more time with the horses. And I think having that, that um, stability, you know, with course there's uh benefits uh like technically like uh, vacation and and healthcare and things like that so there's, there's actual tangible benefits but then there's this reality that there's you have options now at the same time i think one of the challenges and you mentioned this earlier is well how do you balance it all and you know i i this is always, a, I always have to, to check in with myself and, and rebalance things. And, you know, I had, I had a hard time initially allowing myself to figure out the balance. So for example, right now I'm, I'm wrapping up a PhD at Cornell. It's intense. And in a couple months, it'll be over and I'll have that PhD. Um, but it also means that I am taking a teaching pause this winter mm. and that's okay. Most of my, a lot of my students are trailer ins or I ride at their own facilities. It's upstate New York. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel grateful that I can focus my time and energy on, on the science side of things. Um, This summer, the balance will shift a bit and I'll spend more time with the rising equestrian pro and some of the things we have coming up this summer. Now with the fam, with a young family and my daughter, that also means Typically with a science career, that means that I am spending time in the evenings and weekends with my local teaching training business. And naturally, that's also the time when I would spend with my my husband and daughter. And so at this point in my life, it will be a little toned back and, mm-hmm. and maybe ramp up when she gets a little bit older. And so these type of things shift and change. But I think if we know, if you think about the balance and think of the the bigger picture and, and having that ability to adjust and change, I think is, is um, more of a benefit than a, a drawback. So that's kind of how I've been thinking about it. And, and it's always a recalibration process too. Yeah. And do you think you've gotten skills from having both that serve you in either career? Yes. Yes, it has. Um, it has certainly helped with my, <laughs> so one thing with, with my teaching training, I, I am, I am very confident uh, that I, I, that, that business gives me a lot of confidence. I know I can train, support young riders, support green horses, train green horses and do it well. Mm-hmm. And um, in my science career, I'm surrounded by some of the, the s- most incredible scientists, super smart people. And I, I have to work really hard to keep up. And I, I do actually feel that the successes I found in the horse world helped me in the science career. 
and uh, which is which is interesting. And, and you know, and when the realities of the horse career where the where the weather is tough, or you're dealing with some lameness challenges, or whatever, I have another thing that defines my professional life as well from the science side of things. So I think it's um, it's it get, it's back and forth that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going back a little bit to you talking about, you know, being flexible in your time for being the equestrian professional and then your um, online course and your real professional career as getting your PhD. I I always like to think about it um, more as like a pendulum and not so much as like, you know, a scale of balance, right? Like, because even when you're like balanced equally it it doesn't really work that way and it's more like a you know rise and fall like a wave or a pendulum going back and forth and sometimes you have to spend more time in one thing than another and you know in the long run i think it probably works out as a balance mm-hmm. yes yeah that it does it does shift uh for sure for sure you know what a little tip that might be useful for everyone something that helps keep me organized this is a practical tip here is an app called Trello. There's a there's yeah. other apps like it, but essentially each section of my life or business <laughs> has its own tab. And then I have these little note cards of what I need to do, who I need to follow up with, so that when I switch gears into my one gear or the other, I can just organize and stay very organized that way. Uh, so that's a little trick that you do really need to find a system if you're going to be balancing so many things or, or find the pendulum for some on you know, for so many things, you do need to figure out your own system for staying organized. So that's one little tip that I've yeah. helps me. That's good. I probably need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Great tool. There's others out there as well. Um, so we talked a lot about your course so far, but what really inspired you to to launch that course? Well, for me personally, I had a hard time trying to figure out what going pro, quote unquote, look like for me. I wanted to demystify the process a little bit. Now there's the typical routes where you're a working student and then eventually become a professional, right? But it's still not a very clear path. And I wanted to demystify that path and trying to figure out, give give the students tools to navigate that And then once I became a professional, I saw two very different realities of my co-professionals. I found those having a lot of success, like I said before, whether they define it financially, the freedom to travel or prioritize the things that matter in their life, whether it's time with family or, or whatever that might be, and those that were really struggling, those professionals that were really struggling trapped in financial issues or just feeling like they were locked into the farm and they couldn't, they wanted to go somewhere else, but couldn't, or they just were feeling all this guilt and their personal relationships were falling apart because they were just surviving in their business. And I really thought, man, if we can provide tools and help these individuals, and oftentimes those professionals who are struggling got into the industry on passion, but have very little to no business thinking mm-hmm. around their businesses. So my thought was, well, let's bring in all these experts. Let's bring in experts in our industry. Let's bring in current professionals who are doing things right. And let's give these upcoming professionals a step up. Because ultimately, we need we need them to be successful for our industry to be strong. 
right? Like yeah. this is this is our future industry that we're talking about. And so in, in developing this course, I talked with a lot of professionals, current professionals, and then other industry experts. So legal bookkeeping, right? Business experts. And, um, and put this all together in a very robust curriculum that they, the students also get to know one another. So not only mm-hmm. are they getting skills that they're also getting this cohort of support, hopefully yeah. that as some professionals in different disciplines and different locations of the country, they can lean on one another. So that's, that's the whole idea behind, behind this, behind the course. That's cool. Yeah. I, I really, we're like all that. about networking <laughs> and community and, you know, how you yeah. can help each other. And I think that's the best thing is to have those people to rely on and talk to and bounce ideas off of. Yeah, you guys have you guys have really jumped on that. And that's so important. And and thank you for, for doing that for all of us. So <laughs> great. Can can you talk a little bit about what um the experts that you you have enlisted? Can you like expand on that a little more? Sure, sure. So um I can run through some of the names, which uh would be can be helpful and and give you a sense of who exactly does come and support the course. So so, for example, Yvonne Okren is an, an equine attorney who's done well-known equine attorney, has also done a ton of things related to syndicates for some of our top riders. We have a bookkeeper come in, Mary Fasciana, who does the books for, um, again, huge riders, um, well, ranging from, from the big riders all the way to the smaller business as well. And and most of the the guests we bring in are from the eventing dressage and hunter jumper disciplines. Although these these principles are across across discipline, right? Mm-hmm. We bring in um, folks from um, the different platforms, for example, to help tool like tools to figure out how to streamline some of the processes. Like one of my personal favorites, I'm not, a spon- I'm not sponsored or anything. I just really love it for my own personal business is Strider. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, let's streamline some things. Let's think about digital payments. Doesn't necessarily need to be through them, but in any any aspect, let's let's figure out how to streamline our, our books. Uh, bring in Derek Merkler, who is a independent financial advisor. He's more coming from the thoroughbred industry. Hmm. And has yeah, but speaks just generally. Let's think about retirement. Let's think about healthcare. Let's yeah. think about our personal needs out like life. <laughs> and that for any small business owner, really, right, yeah. right. And it can kind of be overwhelming because all of a mm-hmm. sudden, especially you know, especially the people who are coming from a full time non horse career, um, who ha- might have what we call like a W two job, right. they have benefits and then to become becoming independent uh these there are things that you need to figure out yeah. and to make sure you're covered and absolutely it shouldn't be a barrier these things can be figured out and they can be paid for through the right like but it does needs it needs careful thought and planning mm-hmm. um and then a few other individuals as well uh, but then the other piece of it is we bring in current professionals who are have different types of business models and can provide in our, and, and are doing things right. right? They are great examples. So a uh, young dressage professional, Laura Killian, we have Courtney Cooper, who's focused on, uh, she has a domestic business as well as sales and imports. 
And we bring in Renee Elliott, who is focused, uh, does a lot of sales in the hunter jumper world. And so individuals that can share the behind the scenes of what it's like to be a professional. This is really cool because um, we bring in those professionals live and we, we, we keep what's said in the house in the house, quote unquote, because there's not a lot of opportunities for just clear, honest talk, asking hard questions, right? It's almost like as a professional, I need to go out there and like struggle to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm this, this is a resource that we can really learn from one another. And I'm so thankful for those professionals um, that do share their stories and their, their experiences and their, and, and really mentor these up and coming yeah. Folks. So that's, that's a little bit about the the course layout. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, you have a place where you can go and just be able to ask someone like, how do you handle a difficult client or how do I kick someone out of my barn or, you know, like things that who, who else do you ask it, 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 somebody who's been through it before is invaluable to, you know, a, someone who's just starting out. There's, there are so many questions. It can even be um, like lawsuits, like, right. Have you been sued? I've heard someone like, does that happen? Like, right. yes, <laughs> it does happen, but there's ways you can protect yourself. If you yeah. think if this, so if this, let's say, you know, rider falls off, how do you handle that in a way that is appropriate? So there's right. all these things that are happening behind the scenes. Like how much do you pay? What's, how do you structure your commission for rep- mm-hmm. for helping your client find a horse that really varies across yeah. industry, discipline by discipline and, and um, isn't necessarily advertised. You might know what your trainer charges because you've worked with them through that process, but you don't really know that trainer might not actually know too clearly how that compares to other trainers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are, what is the quote unquote industry standard? So yeah, we guess we dive into some really fun questions and I'm always learning too. Um, and, uh, there's, there's, it's, yeah, it's great that way. Cool. And, um, you know, talking about these questions and, and how people work through their business and kind of rely on the community that you've set up. What are some of the biggest challenges you see people having with their equine careers? Well, some of the big challenges I see is people get themselves a little stuck too quickly. So let me give you an example. So I worked a little bit with venture capital in the startup world. So venture capital are the folks that invest, you know, this your audience is probably familiar with that idea, but they're investing in in up and coming businesses and hoping that that business is successful and they get a financial return from it. And so one thing that you that they do look for is one the competency of the founders, but they're also looking for that business, the business idea and its ability to pivot if something isn't working. And so just like equine entrepreneurs, uh professional rider, trainer, teachers, they need to have the flexibility to pivot and figure out what's working, what isn't. If it's working, do more and you like it, do more of it. If it's not working, change. And so sometimes, and so initially, and even throughout the life of the business, the business needs to pivot appropriately, especially as economy changes, as your life changes. Um, And so sometimes what I see is professionals will jump right, especially new professionals will jump right into something like farm ownership yeah, and in an area where they want to fill that whole barn up 
and they've just gotten over their head. And then they realize that that's not the business that they want to have in that area. And they have to sell the farm, but then all their borders know that they're selling the, right. It becomes in this, and then they leave and then there's not that money coming in. Right. And it can be this really stressful time. Mm-hmm. And so my advice is try to keep your business flexible. Yes. Farmer, farm ownership can absolutely be the right decision, but you might want to rent a couple stalls first. Mm-hmm. They want to, right. You want to try to figure out what to transition to, to make sure that you're these lock-in decisions are really informed. Mm. So that's one thing. The other thing that I see is, um, yeah, I think professionals not leaning on others. And I'm saying, I'm saying this, like there, there are one, our co-professionals can be some of our greatest resources and it doesn't need to be the gal down the street. Like, yes, you are competing in the same market. If you're the same discipline, offering similar services down the street. However, there's the internet, the whole country, mm. there's opportunities to help ad- get advice from other co-professionals um, on, on things. And, and then also things like a lot of professionals getting overwhelmed with bookkeeping. You don't have to be, as a business owner, you don't have to be the expert in everything. You just need to know what you need to do and then hire the help to help you. And sometimes that can be the most finance, make the most sense financially. If you're paying a certain hourly rate for a bookkeeper and you're paying, you're, you're bringing in double if you're teaching an hour lesson. I mean, there's ways to think about things that can actually make sense and help you and achieve your overall business goals. So I think I threw out a couple of things there, but there's just some of the things that, that come to mind. Yeah. They're they're pretty common themes, I think, mm-hmm. um, that that we see, and when we talk about with with all business, but right. yeah, like do it. You're you know know what you're good at and know what you're not, and you know hire out. And it's incredible. I think we learned this uh, a couple of episodes back with the two ladies with Gallagher Water. I mean, they have zero employees, and and they run this business because they were able to like outsource. And recently, I I found out. Um, about a company that like, that's what they do. They, they use consultants versus hiring this huge staff. They have a small number of um, employees that are their sales force, but as far as their marketing and HR and even veterinary services, they, they work on a consultant basis, which I think, you know, can be smart for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There are a lot of examples where, it's best to sometimes hire outside the help, outside outside help to make things most efficient. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we've kind of broken down, you know, this dual profession and all the different pieces of your business. Can you kind of like pick it, take it back though, and give us like a whole look at like your business model? And you know, do you keep things separately in separate accounts? Like, how do you organize that to keep it going and you know not get confused? Yeah, sure. So initially, when things were starting, as far as I think the biggest thing is, you know, trying to understand your your numbers and making sure you're tracking everything on the financial side of things. 
And for some people, it can be a little bit overwhelming initially. Oh, I have to, I have to have all these formal bookkeeping systems. And here's one advice I give for the new professionals is it doesn't need to be super fancy. It just needs to be regular. So for example, um, initially you might grab a notebook and every time you teach a lesson at the end of the day, you write down all your lessons for the day. And at the end of the week, two weeks, you then will put it into an Excel file and you at least every other week or once a month, you take a look at your numbers for the month, right? That's a very simple way to approach things. As things get more complicated, of course, then you need the formal the formal systems like QuickBooks and have automate things. But initially, it doesn't need to be fancy. The other, the other thing to think about is keeping bank accounts separate. It's helpful for taxes. It's not required. Um, verify with your your um, accountant, of course, on all these things. <laughs> but to get a to get a bank account in most states, you need a at least at minimum a formal business entity of doing business as, and so you can file for that in your local uh, clerk's office, I believe, and you can open a bank account. And so that business is still working under your social security number, right? But but you can have that separate bank account that really helps you keep your funds separate. And so I think. That's a tip that I use and that might be helpful for others as well. Yeah, I think it's important for people to know, you know, the the different structures of corporation types and what is going to work best for them and tax-wise and, you know, how they're bringing money in and how it's going out. Are they paying themselves as an employee? That sort of thing. Or, you know, uh, and then with the separate bank accounts, um, and having a, a a separate business rather than just doing it personally is being able to, you know, expense the things that you need for your business, which is really important. And, um, you know, looking at how you can be able to afford things. And then, you know, once you have your business, like getting small business loans for when you need it. So, um, yeah, it does take some research, but it's important to know, you know, what kinds of business there are and what you need to be and what works best for you. And and on a personal level too, I mean, I've I've heard this before where I mean they even recommend, even if you don't run a business, that you have like three or four different bank accounts that like you're transferring money to. So you know your money comes into one, but then this is your savings account, this is your mm-hmm. emergency fund, this is your, you know, gonna go on a Retirement vacation fund. fund. This, yes, yeah. exactly. So I think that it's probably, you know, you have to obviously talk to your accountants, but it's not um a new concept to kind of split up your finances so that you can get a clear picture of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Because it, it, it can be exactly, and that can be so helpful. It's so important that you know those numbers because that's what's telling you to do more or less of something that mm-hmm. knowing your numbers is how you, you can, you get a reading of your business and helps you make decisions. Do I do do I do more boarding, less boarding? Do I do more clinics, less clinics, right? And it's hard to make those decisions in a smart way if you don't know where the money's flowing. So that's another thing too, even if it's a basic Excel sheet, let's say your, your bank account's separate and things are flowing. You also want to know what's coming into which category. Mm-hmm. So you want to know 
a, a good business person will know if they look at, if they have borders, they can look at a horse and they can say, okay, for every horse in a stall here, I know that this brings in $200 gross profit margin, right? They know their margins on everything. They know their margins when they teach a clinic. They know their margins for every revenue generating uh, source in their business. And that's really important. And you can do that pretty easily with you know, marketing in Excel. Of course, it's a little easier if you're using QuickBooks or a different software like that. But you can certainly do that with a notebook in Excel. And so I encourage people to do just do it. <laughs> just do it. It doesn't need to be pretty. Um, just do it in a way that will help you understand your business. And, and then get and then it can be if it is overwhelming, get help, of course. Yeah. I think that we've heard a lot from successful business people that that's one of the things that they like live and die by is their numbers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so often I think that a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, right? And also it's kind of like one of those things where like I know there's a time in my life where I was like I, I think I only have $10 left. I don't even want to look at my account, you know? <laughs> like I'm like waiting for Friday to come to get paid like way back in the day. <laughs> and I was like Oh my God. Like, and, and it's almost like, well, if I don't look at it, I, I'm an ostrich. I put my head in the yes. sand, you know, and I think that's what happens to a lot of people. And I see it a lot in the horse business, you know, it's just like, oh, well, you know, I'll teach one more lesson and then I'll have a hundred bucks in my pocket. So I'll be good yeah. for the week, you know? And I think that numbers are really important that you need to kind of break down. Yeah. Horse businesses are, are, um, are are they they can be complicated depending on the business model. They're typically moving a lot of money. The small I think the small business you guys probably know this better than I do, but I think the small business average is about 20% profit on the revenue brought in. So if you're looking at what's the quick math on that? If you are um Oh, I don't want to put myself on the spot for quick math. Let me back out of that. <laughs> if you're making two hundred thousand, then your profit making, is forty thousand. Yeah, yeah, half a million dollars. You're moving half a million dollars, um, which happens commonly with a lot of bigger business. Well, even smaller businesses, and you're making hundred thousand, right? So, um, there's a lot of moving pieces, and there's you're paying out all these feed expenses and farrier throughout the month, and you need to know where your cash flow is at. Can you can you go to the store and buy that? that those two new gates for your fences or do you need to wait two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep it all straight then? So you have different accounts and do you keep your, um, your ag stuff completely separate from your business? Yes, I do. I keep it, I keep it separate. I think of my ag science money going into it's more of like our family finances and the categories there where the horse stuff, is related to, I keep that all separate into my own, funding my own personal education around horses and my own personal horse. And, and then right now it's, these businesses are building the money is really being what's made, right. It's going back and, and, Mm. and investing back into the business. So it's really important that those kind of stay separate. So I know how much can be invested back, um, and keep that separate from the, the personal finances and, we have our our personal finances ear tagged, you know, in certain ways so that we know we know what we can what we can plan around. Yeah. So it is it is it is about being organized on that side of things too. Yeah. And how much time do you think you dedicate to each professional area of your life? Like it's not 50-50, right? And you said 
like you said, like if you're going for your PhD, then you're taking some time away from the training, um, but kind of on a day-to-day basis, how much do you think you spend on each? That's a great question. So I, so everyone works a little bit differently. I'm, I'm very much a morning person, but I will crash very early in the evening. Um, if you knew my bedtime, you'd probably laugh, but sometimes <laughs> my workday will, will start at 4 a.m. And so what I like to think about is I think about the first two hours of my day as high performance mode. Hmm. And so I put wherever I need to prioritize those hours of my day, that's where that goes. So sometimes that is building out the course in some way. Sometimes that's science related. Those are really before anyone wakes up. <laughs> that's yeah. my that's my time to to really focus on what I need. And then and then it varies. But then from there, then I typically work in science wise, your typical eight hour day or so. And then the evenings are then horse related mm. and weekends mainly horse related. So that probably ends up being, oh, it's hard to put a number on these things because yeah. it does vary. It varies a lot. So I can't, I'm not sure if I could lock down an answer, but if it gives you the, gives you a sense, um, most hours of the day are filled. Yeah. <laughs> and you sleep as well. I do sleep. Sleep is important. Mm-hmm. I try to get those eight hours. <laughs> I need to, I'm a much friendlier person when I am well rested, which by the way, can be challenging with a young one. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's getting better now, 15, 16 months. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's getting better. And it's, it's great to be back. It's great to be right? <laughs> well rested. I know back. when you start sleeping normally again, it's like, oh, this is the person I used to be. <laughs> yeah. The creativity came back. Yeah. I'm much. I'm much nicer. Yeah. Much much more patient. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I don't have children and I always think about how miserable I would have been had I had children like those first few years. I am like miserable. I was like, I would have been a rotten person (laughs) because I remember like when I worked at the breeding farm and I wouldn't get I wouldn't get very much sleep because we'd have mares foaling, what have you. And I was like a monster. I was mm. like, I can't even stand myself. I don't know how anybody would stand me. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good, good idea that I didn't have kids because <laughs> I wouldn't have anybody in my life left. <laughs> my family would have ditched me. My friends would have been like, nope. <laughs> I mean, Jen's known me for 25 years. And I think people were kind of worried when they found out I was having kids knowing how much sleep I needed in my life. But <laughs> She figured it out though. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's in history, right? They've you figured out that that part and yes. made it. It gives me a whole. It gives me a whole another sense of grace for people, young parents, and mm-hmm. and other. You know, there's many people out there who are caretakers for yeah. their elderly parents, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be kids, but exactly. I think it does give us this. Like we do need to have grace for for others, even when I'm when I have a client show up and they're just not quite it's not quite clicking that day, mm-hmm. and I really step back and say, you, you never know, you never if they're a young mother or father, it probably is they're probably short on sleep, but if they're not, mm-hmm. you never know what's happening in someone's life for sure. Yeah. And I think you know that kind of leads into the next question, and and also circles back to what you were talking about in the beginning about the gratitude that you got from perspective in traveling is, you know, what tips do you have to help people from burning out? And 
you know, still being able to feel that passion for their career? I think, well, scientifically, I believe <laughs> gratitude is a is a big piece of preventing burnout. But I think the other piece of burnout is, well, there's two other pieces I want to mention. One, having healthy boundaries mm-hmm. and setting those boundaries and your priorities and prioritizing your time based on what you value. And this is something that we uh, actually, we probably mentioned it already. Like Brene Brown is a is a, a thought leader when it comes to defining our values. And that's really important for us to work through those resources online that she has. And, mm-hmm. and we talk about those in the course, for example, because when you are, you are building your business around your values, it helps you maintain that energy. Sometimes what we right. see is we see they want, someone wants to prioritize visiting their family or their kids or, or taking some time off and having those beach days, but they don't allow that to happen with the way they've structured their business. And so you need to think about what you need to value, what you value, and then structure your business around that. And then being totally okay by defining, defining that business around that. And even if that might not look like your neighbor down the road, that's okay. It's your business, your life. Yeah. Um, I think that's the way, one of the ways to think about it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working, right. It's just, it's hard. It's really hard. hard to do that and we all we all are are trying to do that and figuring it out yeah I love the talk about your values because I we've certainly discussed boundaries a lot in this podcast and how important it is to have them but you know why do you have boundaries it's to protect your values right and to you know make sure that you're what you're doing lines up with why you're doing it and what it stands for. So uh, I think there's more to that discussion beyond what we can fit into one episode of a podcast, but I I love the, at least bringing it up in a discussion for people to explore themselves and um, you know, you giving that example of where they can go or what books they can read in order to start defining that for themselves is uh, really important. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> sure. So at the end of each episode, we ask the same questions to each guest and Connor starts with the first one. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I think I had to think a little bit about this, but you know what? I think, I think, so I am by nature, a bit of a worrier. And something that's really been helping me these past few years is I spend a lot of energy and thought energy on worrying. And if that worry can just be transitioned into doing something in in action, that's a much better use of my brain energy, right? We all are running on limited. We only have so much clear thoughts for our day. And so I think when there's moments of worry and self-doubt, which happened to to all of us. And I think that's a good thing that keeps us humble and sensitive feeling people. But I think turning that worry into into some type of action, moving towards that goal, right? Worry is kind of like a a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. (laughs) Uh, I saw that on that quote on the refrigerator 
uh, one of my working student positions. And I'm like, I really, years ago, I really like that. (laughs) That's great. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I, I'm not sure about this one, but I, right now where the spot in life I am right now, I am working really hard as a data scientist (laughs) and it's hard. I, it's, it is a lot of difficult thinking and it's awesome, but it is hard. And I, and I think about something, a quote about uh, what's tough today will be your warm up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I hope, and I've seen that throughout my science career and my, my coding journey to all the way to my training journey. What's, what's tough today is your warm up tomorrow. And so just, just keep moving forward. And it's amazing when you look back to see where, where you've come and then what, what's, what's now easy for you. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Great quote. Yeah, that's great. What's your favorite horse movie? I really enjoy Harry and snowman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good one. Just, mm-hmm. I just, I just love it. <laughs> and who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Hmm, this one this one is hard because there's a lot of great people out there. Um, I would recommend, I think I would recommend Courtney Cooper. I'd mentioned her along with two other professionals. She's a she is a wonderful businesswoman. And what makes her unique is she spent years in the non-equine job before starting her current business. And she has a a great, she has a growing, she has her domestic business, of course, but she has a growing imports business and is just really resembles a great horsewoman and businesswoman. I think we have a lot to learn from people like her and and others that are are really running great businesses. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk to you and learn about your businesses and, um, we hope that everything goes well with the PhD. <laughs> yeah, you have to let us know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. It's been great talking with you all. And you know what? Uh, no matter how it goes, you know, I've done my best and uh, all you can do, right? So <laughs> That's but it'll great. be good. In all, in all truthfulness, it'll be good to, to move on to the next step. So yeah. That's great. Thanks again. Thanks. I'm so glad that you met Emily uh, at the World Horse Expo and suggested her as a guest. She was really interesting to talk to. Yeah, I I thought when I went and watched her speak, um, just the background, the ag science stuff, the the traveling that she's done, I was like, oh, wow, she's done a lot. And I feel like um, she would be great to to bring some of that knowledge back to our listeners. Mm -hmm. I could have asked her like an hour's worth of questions about her travel and what she does and the people that she met. Um, that was really interesting. And um, I think it's so cool to be able to gain that experience and be able to apply it in what she does now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and she just, she starting this um, online course, which I think is so smart because I mm. think so many people are going that direction now and that she, um, you know, enlists lots of other professionals and can get candid with them and and really 
it's kind of filling a niche for for people who young people who want to go into the industry and kind of are a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. And one thing we didn't talk about on the podcast, but her and I had a conversation about it um, at the expo was these young people and like they're being lost because they just don't have the confidence to kind of go out there and put their own flag in out. Mm. And, and so like, and she, I think she kind of felt like um, getting all that business experience and being, being able to ask those questions really would help those people have the confidence to kind of push forward and start their own business. For sure. And I think it even applies to lots of people who, you know, have worked as an assistant trainer under people for so long, and they know how that one person runs their business, but is that how they want to run their business if they go out on their own? Like, you know, there's so many people that could benefit from a course like that and having access to all of these professionals who are willing to answer questions and, and, you know, speak frankly about what they've done in the past, what they recommend, what they say not to do because they've, you know, it's going to be bad or whatever. Um, I really think that, um, you know, it's a great asset that people can take advantage of. And I, and I think that it's something that we need in our industry, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even the talk about, you know, like it doesn't have to be this cookie cutter look you don't have to be at the top you can be at any level and you can make Mm -hmm. it work for you and you can do it part-time and you can have a dual career or you Mm -hmm. can do it full-time if you want or you can transition from one to the other or you know there's so many different scenarios and I think often we get stuck at looking like well who's successful and this is how they did it and they have 87 different things that they do to make their business successful they and 150 <laughs> horses and you're like no that's not for everyone right yeah i mean i i even see it in racing right like mm. my parents uh, have you know maybe at the most had 40 horses in their stable and now they're down to eight and you know it transitions throughout their life but you know there are people who have 150 race horses how do you you know, that's not for everybody. My parents exactly. aren't organized to do something like that. Like you have <laughs> to have a lot of organization and good and people. People, yeah, that you yeah. trust. For exactly. Sure. So, you know, it was it's just she was very refreshing. And I think that mm-hmm. she was um could be a great resource. And that's why she really actually she came up to me because I had some interaction with Morrisville College mm. and had spoken to them and they had sent her over because I had given them a card about our podcast. So she came over to talk to me and then like it sparked this whole thing and I then I watched her presentation. And so I was like, oh, this is pretty refreshing. And she had some really great points. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm glad that we kind of broke some of those down in the podcast. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so I know that we both have a lot more things to do today. So you're going to find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. Find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. We love it when you do that, and it helps more people find Equestrian B2B. You can have all 20-plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go to find your values.